we're continuing in our series. We're calling this story time, part seven today. This is called Misfit Joe. So we continue in these big stories. If you've got um, a, a buy one of those red Bibles, you're going to be on page uh, starting on page 27. Uh, of all the the people, particularly of all the men featured through the Old Testament, there's there's one who really stands out as more virtuous than anyone else. This guy doesn't murder anyone. He, he doesn't commit adultery. He doesn't lie or steal or break a vow to God. He's just a genuinely awesome, godly guy. But he suffered a lot of rejection in his life. His parents misunderstood him. His brothers rejected and betrayed him. His employer not only fired him, but had him imprisoned for something he didn't do. And his friend forgot all about him when he needed him the most. You probably know who I'm talking about. It's Joseph, not not Mary's Joseph. This is Joseph as in Donny Osmond, amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat Joseph. That Joseph, right? And we're going to read all about him in Genesis chapter 37. I'm going to invite you to stay seated today. We're going to go through that whole chapter, and it's, it's a long passage. So I'd like you to um, just follow with me in Genesis 37 as we get introduced to Joseph. Chapter 30 tells us the birth of Joseph. He's the 11th of 12 children of Jacob, Jacob, who's later called Israel. And he is the first of two sons born to Jacob's favorite wife. Thankfully, most of us never need to say my favorite wife. Um, I have a favorite wife, but she's my only wife. So that's a good thing. Joseph was the 11th son born to him. Chapter 37 says it this way. So Jacob settled Again, in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. And this is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph, child number 11, when Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Now, one night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. And suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, oh, so you think you're going to be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. And soon Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream. He said, the sun, moon and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their flocks at Shechem. And when they had gone there for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, Your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. So this is exactly what happens. Let me carry on just telling the story. Joseph is sent out by his father. He wants to say, just bring back a report of how they're doing. I've got a picture here of the Judean hillsides. The area might have looked something like this. 
Um, this is a picture we took last October, not too far from the Dead Sea, but, you know, it's something similar to that region where he might have gone out to look for his brothers and their, and their flocks. And he went one place and he said, hey, have you seen, have you seen my brothers? You know, these guys described, no, no, they've gone on to another, another area, uh, to a place called Dothan. So Joseph followed and sure enough, he, he found them. But as he, as they saw him coming, they're away from mom, they're away from dad's household. And they're like, now's our chance. We're going to take care of this problem once and for all. And they scheme and they say, we're going to, let's kill him and we'll throw him in an old cistern and nobody needs to be any the wiser. And we'll just tell dad that a wild animal got him and we'll just be rid of this problem little brother that we have. How many of you have little brothers that are kind of a problem? Yeah, there might have been moments you felt like killing them. But um, uh, this is, these, these guys are serious. They're really serious. And so Joseph shows up and they grab him. And uh, they throw him into an empty cistern. Right? That's got him a water storage pit. And they throw him in there. And, uh, but one of, the, one of the brothers says, you know, Judah, he says, we really shouldn't kill him. I mean, his conscience is just stirring a little bit. We don't want his blood on our hands. How about, how about we do something else? You know, uh, we'll, we'll figure something else out. And sure enough, a, a, a train, a camel train comes through of Ishmaelite traders. Now, remember, the Ishmaelites are the clan that are descended from their great uncle, Ishmael. And so they probably rationalize, well, they're kind of like family, you know, distant relatives. And, and they decide they're going to sell Joseph. Well, one of the brothers, the oldest, Reuben, had, had made a plan that after, when he could, he would discreetly grab Joseph out of the cistern and get him back home to, to his dad. And without Reuben realizing it, these brothers, they sell, they sell Joseph to these slave traders. Here, I've got a picture of a camel for you. This is uh, Becky and I about to go on a ride on a camel at a place called Abram's Tent, where they feed you a nice Middle Eastern meal and you get to ride a camel. It's a kind of memorable experience. So off, off uh, Joseph goes toward Egypt. R- Reuben is furious. He says, now what are we going to do? How are we going to explain this? To our father. So they kind of go back to a modified plan A. They, they take his beautiful robe. They tear it up. They put blood on it. And they go home. And they say, hey, we found this robe. He must have been take, eaten up by a lion. And of course, Joseph, I mean, Jacob is just devastated. Verse 36 of that chapter says, Meanwhile, the Midianite traders, they're also Ishmaelites, arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. So this is, this is Joseph's life. Joseph in the Bible is presented as sort of an ideal character, almost like a foreshadow, a, a type of Christ. He's rejected, he's betrayed, he's forgotten. But finally, you'll, you'll see at the end of the story, he's exalted to a very high position. But he started life as a misfit. And and, and he really remained that way all through his life. But you know what? It's okay to be a misfit. It's okay to be a misfit. I don't know if you've ever felt like you don't quite fit in, like you don't quite belong somewhere. That, that maybe everyone else knows something that you don't know. Or, or somehow everyone else has life figured out and, and you seem to kind of like miss all the clues that everybody else seems to, to figure it out on. You know, when I was in my, my senior year of high school... I don't know what happened, but on career day in the big auditorium where we're all kind of being lectured, I fell asleep. 
you know how it is. And, and I'd kind of forgotten about this episode, but I woke up and I, I, and they say, any more questions? And I asked a question and every burst up, everybody burst out laughing because someone else had just asked that question. This is why we don't do Q&A on Sunday morning at church. It's too many people taking their morning nap. And so I wouldn't want to embarrass anyone. Um, well, you know, and then the rest of my life, you, know, you better be careful not to fall asleep on career day because you might end up as a pastor. That's all I'm going to say. Um, anything can happen. But, you know, maybe you just feel like you're always a day late and a dollar short. It, and you just, everyone else knows what to do and you don't know what to do. And, and you missed this deadline and that one passed you by. And you know what? It's okay. It's okay to feel that way. I think a lot more of us feel like a misfit in life than we, than we probably would want to admit or realize. It may not even be your fault. You know, our, our man Joseph was a misfit, but it really wasn't his fault. It, it started when his mom, Rachel, who had desperately begged God and begged her husband, Israel, or Jacob, for children. And, and when he was born, she named him Joseph, which means, may he add, or may the Lord add more. It's kind of like saying, glad to have you, son, but you're really not enough. That was, that was how his life started. His dad loved him, but, you know, really singled him out as a favorite, which effectively put a bullseye on his back. Then God gave him those profound dreams in, in which, you know, Joseph, in the, in the exuberance of his youth, you know, figured, hey, this would be a great thing to share with my family. Not the most winsome thing to do. His brothers couldn't even stand. It says they could not even say a kind word. They couldn't even be polite to their brother. And, and they, they just, you know, so they trafficked him into slavery. Last week we had a lunch here where we had someone come and share with us about the plight of human trafficking. Joseph was trafficked into slavery by his own family. Something that happens around the world today very often. And then later as a slave in Egypt, he was still misunderstood and still mistreated. He was still a misfit. I want you to look at chapter 39 with me. You've got Genesis 39. A couple chapters over, and, and it's, it starts like this. It says, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And the Lord, this is what's so great, the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did, and this pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. And from the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. You know, I really believe that as, as believers, if you're a believer working for uh, an employer, even who's not a believer, God will bless that believer on your behalf. The favor of God is on you and he will bless others through you and because of you. Well, Joseph just is, he's just a rock star. He's, he's, well, he's also really good looking and he's young and he's attractive and he is noticed by Mrs. Potiphar and Mrs. Potiphar begs him Come sleep with me. Come to bed with me. She's attempting to seduce young Joseph. And Joseph, who's been raised right and has a conscience, says no, no, no. And one day, she, she just grabs him full of lust 
and just demands that he comes and he says no. And he runs out of the room. He runs away. And in the process, she holds hold of his coat, which strips off of him. And he runs away. And this is the crazy thing about sin and lust. It turns. And suddenly, she, this burning lust turns to burning rage and anger. And she screams out, help, help. And her, all the servants of the house come running and say, what's, that, what's wrong? What's wrong, Mrs. Potiphar? What happened? That, that Hebrew slave, he tried to abuse me. He tried to rape me. And then she's just filled with rage because she couldn't get her way. So she will destroy him. She seeks to destroy him. And she holds that coat. And Potiphar comes home and she says, that Hebrew slave you brought into our home, look what he tried to do. And Potiphar, who's incensed and rightly seeks to protect his wife, but doesn't bother to get the full story, just goes into rage and has Joseph thrown into prison. Unjustly imprisoned. Verse 19, though, says this, Potiphar, after Potiphar was furious, um, looked at verse 21 with me. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. It's a little juxtaposition, isn't it? He's in prison and God shows him his love. We would say, well, if God loved him so much, why didn't he take him out of prison? No, God showed him in his love in the midst of his circumstances. Verse 22 before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. So there he is. He's a success, but he's a misfit once again. He doesn't belong there. Now, chapter 40 carries on with another amazing account. And all these things are building up to his future. As he's there, in the course of his daily duties in the prison, Joseph bumps into two men. One was the, the former cupbearer to the king, and one was the former baker to the king. And one day, Joseph notices these, these men are both very distraught, distracted, and down. He says, what's wrong, guys? Oh, we both had a, really, a, you know, a dream last night. We think it's a really significant dream, but we don't understand what they mean. Joseph says, well, I know the God who interprets dreams, gives dreams and it can interpret them. Let me tell me your dream and let, let's see where we can take this. So they tell him the dreams and, and Joseph is able to bring God's interpretation to those dreams. And, and one dream means that the cupbearer is going to be returned to his high position working for the king and the, the baker. He's going to be lifted up to be executed, decapitated and impaled on a big old stick. Pretty gruesome story. And that's exactly what happens and then it says, verse 23, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Man, can't, just can't win for trying. Not his fault. You know, his good looks and his good work ethic made him so attractive to Mrs. Potiphar, not his fault, that he wasn't allowed to explain himself to the boss. You know, most people feel like a misfit at some point. You, you compare yourself to your successful peers or, or to your better looking sister or your, your more you know, wealthy brother, or maybe your parents were more hurtful to you than helpful, or, or maybe you were never much of an athlete in school and, and the world praises athletes. Being a misfit, honestly, is more normal than you realize. Sometimes 
you know, you will even be a misfit by the right kinds of choices in your life. When you choose to do the right thing as Potiphar, I mean, as Joseph did in Potiphar's house, sometimes in his case, for example, you just need to leave the room, whatever's going on in your life. Sometimes you just need to walk away. You can't bring a change to what's going on. You can't. Potiphar, Joseph was in no position to, to try to reason. Look, Mrs. Potiphar, if this, you know, if we really go down this track, do you just think about all the problems this is going to entail? I would really rather we don't do this. Let's just have a, a proper. No, there was no time for that. Run. Get out of there. No time for explanation. It was the right thing to do. And sometimes you're, you're in that position and you, just, you have to just walk away and it's lonely and people misunderstand you and they make fun of you and they tease you. But God's favor continues to rest on those who seek to please him. Continue to rest on Joseph. God's favor is on you as well. He was, he was a great success in spite of his misfit status because the favor of God, we talked about this one time last year, if you remember, the fog, the favor of God rests on anyone who trusts in God. And I wonder, did Joseph really need to go through all this hardship and trouble, all these steps of difficulty? Elsewhere in Scripture, it gives us an indication that maybe he did. Psalm 105, verses 17, 18, and 19 give us a little... The whole chapter kind of gives a history of, of Israel. And, and a couple of verses say this. It says, Then God sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, that's the Israelite people, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. Actually, one of those lines is a little bit difficult to translate. NIV translates that last line, until the word of the Lord proved him true. But until things came to pass as promised. Here's the good news that may be actually a little bit hard to hear. Your troubles may be God's training. Your troubles may be God's training. I recently read a book by an author named Malcolm Gladwell. Anybody heard of Malcolm Gladwell? wrote a book called Blink and um, Tipping Point. It's a really clever way of writing. And, and this book's called David and Goliath. And it's a collection of essays in which he demonstrates that often the underdog has certain advantages over the more dominant person in, in a situation. And he, one story he tells is, is the story of David Boyce, who's, a, who's one of America's most effective and successful trial lawyers. He's, uh, he's, he's just a bulldozer when it comes to law. David Boyce suffers extreme dyslexia. If he reads a book a year, he's doing well. Lawyers need to read for a living. Lawyers are all about words, and he can't read. So what happened? In Mr. Boyce's early life, he learned to listen and to memorize and to listen and to memorize. And he can hear something once and he never forgets it. He developed a new skill because of his severe dyslexia. Now, he's wildly successful because of his handicap. He's asked, the, the interviewer asks him, would you wish this on your children? He says, of course not. But I'm so glad I went through this myself. Your difficulty, your trial, your handicap, as it were, may in fact be part of of what God is going to use as your part of your success. Part of your future. The truth is that God has a purpose for your life. And everything you've 
already experienced or anything that you're going through now is potentially preparing you for what's ahead if you'll accept it and grow from it. You need to become better, not bitter. You may be a victim and that's beyond your control, but you, you have the power to not live like a victim. Getting help and getting healing is something within your power to do. God had a plan for Joseph to, to later save his family and the future of the entire Hebrew nation. But young Joseph needed some training, needed some development. And could it be that his sale into slavery developed in him an, an empathy for the mistreated and the downtrodden? As a slave in, in Potiphar's house, did he learn the management skills that he would need later as, Egypt, as Egypt's prime minister? Right? Did he learn how to oversee difficult people when he was working for the prison warden? Did, he, did the time in, in prison give him some quiet time to pray and deepen his trust in God and, and even practice forgiveness toward his brothers who had sold him into slavery. Perhaps the, that rejection from his brothers helped him see that there are many people who suffer unjustly. God was, God was effectively holding Joseph and training him for what was ahead. And what's hard for us is we can't see the future. We just see the now and we see the past and we think, This is not right. This doesn't feel right. So the trauma you've been through or the illness you or your children endured or the layoff notice you got, all these things might just be preparing for you if you're willing to respond in trust and in faith. Can you accept that the season you're in or the things you've experienced are preparation for what's to come? Now, what if you're doing the right thing, and you get punished for it anyway. Well, maybe you've experienced that. You did the extra, you know, went the extra mile at work and no one noticed, or they asked for still more, or you got criticized for doing the right thing, or, or your classmates all shared notes for a big assignment and you were doing honest work, but they all got better grades, or, or it's tax time and you're wondering if you really need to claim, you know, all that income and some of it, you know, you could probably get away with and you're going to pay more tax. You do the right thing, and it might cost you. But the truth is this, that you're never wrong to do right even when it costs you. You're never wrong to do right even when it costs you. I just think about that moment when Mrs. Potiphar, I don't know what her real name was, so we'll just keep calling her that, when she attempted to seduce Joseph. I mean, think about the other way. What would have happened if he had given into temptation? He might have been like the baker getting his head lopped off and stuck in a big old pole. We think, oh, so terrible what he went through, but it could have been a lot worse. Joseph did the right thing, especially when it comes to sexual sin. He ran, run away. First Corinthians six eighteen to 20, the Apostle Paul writes, and he puts it this way. He says, we've got that one on screen. Do I have that one on screen? I'll just read it to you. Run, Paul says, from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Run from sexual sin. You might get laughed at. 
You might get accused of being a prude, but better to escape and be misunderstood than to lose your life and your heart and your mind and your integrity and your purity. All for some empty pleasure. So Joseph is a great example to follow, especially for young people and young men. Sometimes the only way to escape is to to flee. And even if Joseph had engaged in a sexual affair with Mrs. Potiphar and gotten away with it, Joseph knew this. The ultimate judge is God. God needed someone that could be trusted in all circumstances for the high position that he was preparing him for. He wasn't going to be like everybody else. He was going to be an exceedingly demanding position. So, yes, Joseph was badly let down by Potiphar, his employer, just as your employer, your teacher, your spouse, your parents, your pastor, right, will let you down at some point and might even misunderstand you. Only God knows what really goes on. And God is the rewarder. He is just and he will settle the score when the time is right. You're never wrong to do the right thing. One more chapter. This is the good news chapter for for Joseph. Chapter 41, verse 1, says this. Chapter 41, verse 1. Two full years later, so he's been in prison for quite some time now. Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. And then he goes on to tell about Pharaoh's dream. And he calls all his magicians and experts and they all try to interpret the dream. But no one really can tell him what the dream means. And then finally, ding, the light goes on for the cupbearer. He said, wait a second. I actually remember a guy. Yeah, he's on my Facebook. Let me go find him. All right. And he pulls him up and he sends him a note. He says, hey, the Pharaoh uh, wants to see you. He says, I know this guy to the Pharaoh. He says, I know this guy. He, he can interpret dreams. He, he did that for me and, and it came true. And I think, you should, I think you should talk to him. So he gets them. And, you know, I love little details in Scripture, you know, that, that, that Joseph, you know, um, cleaned up and, and shaved. And off he went to, to go see Joseph. And Pharaoh says, I hear you can interpret dreams in verse 16 joseph says this it's beyond my power to do this it's beyond my power to do this but god can tell you what it means and set you at ease you know this is true there's there's so much you can't do but christ can christ lives in you and he can do this and so sure enough joseph interprets the dream for him and it's such a significant dream it's forecasting years of prosperity and then years of famine and, and Joseph says, so here's what I think you should do. You should, you should stockpile now because you're going to need it later. And you're going to, you, you could really become a world power by, by having grain to sell to others. And, and, and Pharaoh says, that makes sense. We should find someone who could do that. I wonder who would have a good idea like that. Hmm, let's see. Strokes his beard a little, that Egyptian beard thing they got. Joseph, how about you? We'll make you in charge. In fact, you're going to be so high up. You're the only person above you is me. You're going to run the affairs. You're going to be in charge. You're the prime minister of Egypt. The superpower of the day. The superpower of the day. That would be like going from prison to, you know, a high position in the United States or China or some of our big national interests today. And sure enough, that's what happens. Joseph is lifted up to that place. And, uh, you know, um, just jump right to the end of verse 41. Chapter 41, pardon me. 
and this famine is spreading. It says that 50, verse 55 says the famine spread throughout the land of Egypt as well. And when the people cried out to Pharaoh for food, he told them, go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. So with severe famine everywhere, Joseph opened up the storehouses and distributed grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout the land of Egypt. And people, verse 57, people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe throughout the world. And that's setting up where we're going to go next week as we talk about Joseph and his brothers. But I want want to say this, through all his troubles, how did Joseph keep faith and not despair? I would say this, he found purpose in serving others. He found purpose in serving others. He served his dad, bringing messages to his brothers. He served Potiphar's household with excellence, even though he was a slave. And he could have just sulked about the unfairness of the situation and, and just done the bare minimum. But he did excellently and Pharaoh no, Potiphar noticed it and elevated him. He, he could have just sat there and said, why me, God? This is so unfair. I don't like this, God. But no, then he served the prison warden, even though he didn't deserve to be there. And he, he served his fellow prisoners, even, including those interpreting those dreams for the baker and the cupbearer. And eventually he served the Pharaoh and he, he did so without attitude or without anger. He didn't go up and say, Pharaoh, you're a horrible, rotten sinner. He went and served the Pharaoh and God greatly rewarded him for it. And not only did Joseph's service probably distract from his broken heart and help pass the time, but he served excellently because he was developing excellent character. His service to others made his suffering count for something. Didn't just make it bearable for him, it actually made it count for something. And I would say this, number four, that serving others gives meaning to suffering. Serving others gives meaning to suffering. There's a myth about serving that we should dispel right here. That involuntary Service isn't service. You know what? Involuntary service is still service. When you're kind of forced to do something, you know, when, my, when I put on the list that my kids have to empty the dishwasher, have to take the trash out, oh, okay. You know, they're still serving even if they're forced to do so. We think it's only serving as we choose it. Because jo- Joseph was forced into serving roles, but he served with excellence. And experts say that one of the best ways to overcome your own troubles, whether it's depression or trauma or grief or chronic pain or rejection, one of the best ways to deal with any of those things is to serve others, to give of yourself to others. It takes the focus off our own situation. It lets you care for other people. Yeah, there, you know, as an example, there's a couple of connection groups that I'd love to make available here at Bethany Church when we can find someone to lead them. One's Grief Share which is a terrific, just an amazing program to help people process the, the, the loss of a loved one in their life. That's called grief share. Another one's called divorce care to help folks process the trauma of divorce. But here's the catch. Both those programs need to be led by someone who's gone through those things, whether it's grief and loss or whether it's divorce. I need to find someone who's been through those things. And those terrible traumatic experiences have helped them get to the place where they're now ready to serve and help someone else. Maybe it's your turn to take some traumatic experiences and turn them into a blessing. Serving others gives meaning to suffering. Friends, listen, it's, it's really okay to be a misfit in this world. I think if we were honest, we probably would all be able to say, yeah, there's been places or there are places I feel like I just don't fit in. I've had some of you say, oh, I've been at this church a long, long time, but 
I'm, I'm still an outsider. I'm like, you know what? I bet you almost everybody feels that way. That's human life. Maybe, maybe you're looking at your troubles and you think, when's life going to get better? I'm tired of this. And I want you to know God might just be training you for something better. Something that He has for you and His purposes. Maybe you're faced a situation at work or school or at home or in your family and, and you're faced with a choice between the thing you know is the right thing to do and, and the thing that's kind of wrong and the wrong thing is easier and in some ways makes more sense, but you just really know the right thing and it's never wrong to do the right thing. And then you'll find that when you serve others, you find meaning. It gives meaning to your suffering when you can serve. Let's pause to pray.